There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fangirl Zone. I'm Sean Fangirl S., and today we are talking Handmaid's Tale. So joining me, as always, for this wonderful season of Handmaid's Tale, I have Miss Jennifer. Hello, everybody. And we are in Episode 6, A Woman's Place. So this was interesting. Now, first of all, I think that their forces that, that be are, like, pushing against Jennifer and I. I don't know if they like our our podcast. And I say this because we tried doing this one already one time. Yeah, I think Technical Boy got involved from American Gods. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things Media. happening. Medium. They, they heard that we're on Shadow and uh, Wednesday's side. <laughs> <laughs> so let's give you the little tiny synopsis, which if you've already watched it, which I'm assuming you have because you're listening, because otherwise that's kind of weird and we're going to spoil it. Uh, the Mexican ambassador visiting Gilead questions offered about her life as a handmaid, and Serena Joy reflects on her marriage and the role she once played in Gilead's except- inception. Exceptions? What? Actually, this is the exception that Miss Jennifer has been telling me this entire time. Yes. I'm going to feel sorry for her. This is it. This Just is look. Just a little. You know what? There might have been a moment in there, and it was a very small moment. Mm-hmm. But mostly I did not because, and this sounds horrible when I say this out loud, because <laughs> she was one of the main reasons that this whole thing is happening. She was basically the architect, and, and the title of this episode was the title of her book, A Woman's Place. And this is um, <sighs> Domestic Feminism is what they call it. And there's been a movement going on in the U.S. where women have been quitting their high-powered, high-paying jobs and going home and deciding to spend more time taking care of, of their children and their husbands and their houses. Or either they'll go part-time or they'll do job swapping and this and that. And I know that there are merits to that. And if you're one of those people who can afford to do that and want to do that, you know, keep on trucking. I, I got nothing against it. But there is this movement for this kind of thing where they're taking it way too far. And in Tennessee, I believe there is a Real Housewives of Gilead forming. Yes. And I think um, I shared a, uh, an article with you. Yes. Or you shared it with me. I can't remember which one of us shared it. But it was just so bizarre reading yes. that there's women out there that want this kind of life, which don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's bizarre to want to be at home and take care of your kids right. because I know Jennifer, um, when your kids were little, you were working like crazy hours. You and I were talking oh, yeah. about that. Crazy, crazy, crazy hours. I was working. It was not unusual for me to work 60 to 80 hours a week. Um, I worked both on corporate side of marketing and and uh, one point I worked dot com and another point I worked advertising agency and you pulled crazy hours at, at any of those three jobs. Um, so I had a nanny who took care of my kids and because daycare was geez it was oh daycare is expensive 
two grand a kid a month and I had two kids. So I'm like, yeah, after the second kid, we got a nanny. Yeah, cheaper. (laughs) I would, I would come home and I'd be exhausted because I'd done all this work. But the first thing I would do is I would go and like spend time with my children and then all weekend long and spend time with my children. And so I like, I never really got any downtime. But I, I, I look back on it because now I don't work that many hours. I have a much more flexible schedule, and I'm with my kids a lot more and have been for the last few years. And when I asked my daughter about it, I'm like, you remember when I used to work crazy hours and da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And I remember sometimes when I would have to bring work home, she'd have this little table. She'd sit next to me, and her favorite Toys were her Barbie laptop and her Barbie cell phone, and she'd make me give her assignments. And she said, you know, when I was little, I thought you were Wonder Woman. I am really glad that you showed me a woman can have it all. So. (laughs) So like I say, with your crazy hours, and and this is how your daughter sees you. And I'm not saying that I, I am frowning upon anybody who's staying home. In fact, on one hand, I truly envy people who are able to because, yes. you know, if you're able to have your shit together and, like, be able to on run that household. Income. Yeah, on one income. Right. That's amazing. And not yeah. just that, like, I don't know. Now, granted, I don't have children, so this may be the the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been working since I was 16. I don't know if I can honestly see myself not working. Now, granted, I love vacations and we fantasize about winning the lottery and not having to work. But then when you see how the women in the show are, that's an extreme. nothing to do but, like, visit each other. And I don't even know how much they're allowed to visit. And knit. And And they're not allowed to read. Like, what what is their day like, really? Right. It is pretty dismal. They're taking care of the house. Well, they also have Martha's for that. I guess maybe the Akana wives that we they talk about more in the books have more to do because they're running the household and what have you. But, yeah, it just – and it kills me because when they're talking about women and the group, the Sons of Jacob, who kind of orchestrate this takeover, is, oh, you know – they, they got their head full of ideas and thinking, and they were pursuing the wrong goals, getting educations, getting careers. You know, they didn't have any respect for men anymore. They had to dress slutty and, you know, chase men and da-da-da-da-da. And now they have a place of respect and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, if you want to, if you want to be the perfect housewife, be the perfect housewife. That is what you want to do in life. Do it. If you want to be a career woman and you're happy doing that, do it. If you want a mix of both, do it. <laughs> right. And but this is just such an extreme. To... I couldn't. Yes. Especially the not reading. Like, when I take a vacation, and even if it's a, and I hate this word, a staycation, yeah. but, you know, just say I took, like, two days off work. Just because working retail will grind, okay, you know, don't let the bastards grind you down. Jesus, this yes. thing is sucking my soul. Okay. I've worked retail. <laughs> I've worked retail. It sucks. But sometimes you just, you do need to sit and you need that quiet. But can you see that quiet, you know, 100% of the time? No. Like, I want to read. I want to, you know, write. Yeah. Color in my Doctor Who coloring book. Yes, I have one. I think I've done one page. I wonder if that probably doesn't exist. 
Probably not. It's, it's too it's too fancy. So okay. So we have this huge political push in our country right now, and it seems to be in lockstep with a lot of the things we see on the show. And it, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Make America Great Again, which I'm totally for making America great. But the version of Making America Great Again that a lot of people have gotten into their heads seems to be the version of America that was the the golden age of the 1950s. And we even see that reflected in the show by how they choose to dress the wives. Right. They all have, like, certain length dresses, and no, they're never wearing pants. They're, they're, they, they have, have to their, wear pumps. Yes. They're sensible, sensible heels. <laughs> now, wait. I have a quick time out. Did you notice every single one of the wives, with the exception of when we've seen the one, and I'm saying this in air quotes, in labor, they all have their hair up? Yes. No one has their hair down. Like, I and I couldn't. I don't, I've never learned how to put my hair up like that, so I'd be screwed. But I, I always wonder, who does Serena's hair in the morning? If, 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 if it's her, a girlfriend needs to show me how. <laughs> but I think maybe the Martha's help. I, I don't know. <laughs> But going back to this golden age that everyone or a certain number of people or a group of people want to take us back to is a pre-civil rights era. I should remind everyone women did not have as many rights as we do now. Um, people of color did not have rights. And, yes, was the economy booming? Could you afford to stay home and be a housewife? Absolutely. But you know what? caused that golden age in the 1950s. It's a little thing called social democracy that the New Deal brought. The Social Security and um, welfare for women and children and, and things like that that people will scream red in the face that it, when anyone mentions any kind of thing like this, that, oh, my God, no, that's socialism. Mm, yeah, it's social democracy, and it worked before, and it's what actually caused the 1950s to be so great, which is where you seem to want to bring America back to again. Right. So, so to you people, I don't understand you. <laughs> but we don't want, like, that divide. Like, in here, and you and I kind of discussed it, how it seems like it's the commanders, at least, are all mm -hmm. older, with the exception of Waterford. He seems to be one of the youngest commanders. Yes. And they were all white. And uh, yeah, they're all white. And they're talking about, you know, every um, every woman needs to be impregnated with superior men's sperm and things like that. That's the kind of thing that they're thinking in The Sons of Jacob. And, yeah, they're all older men. And in the book, I know that Commander Waterford is a little older, but I think that the reason Commander Waterford in the series is a little younger is because Serena Joy was writing the handbook for them to do this. And so that's how he kind of like rose to the ranks on her shoulders. Okay. And the time I felt sorry for her was when she's in the meetings and she's having to wait outside and she's like, what's going on? You know, what can you tell me? And da, 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 da. And I, I really feel like I should be in there. And he's like, Oh honey, don't worry about it. We've got it all taken care of. And no, 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 no. It kind of belittles her. And that's why I felt bad for her because then she knew she had screwed herself. Yes. And that's and really funny because 
uh, I had mentioned to Jennifer, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast, my husband and I are now watching this, and we're going to do a recap with him at the end, so you get kind of a man's point of view. But something he had said, because we just finished episode five, was how many of the women in the episode, or in the show, basically, the wives, do you think are realizing this is not what I wanted? And it's kind of funny, because we see that in this episode. With Serena, mm-hmm. like you said, sitting outside the meeting. And Waterford actually plays it really cool. And he's like, you know, they they just, they're not going to talk to you right now. But we'll figure it out. I know you were a big part of this. And, like, he seems really understanding. Or he's just a really good car salesman. Yeah. Because, I think a little bit of both. Because then you turn around and the other one comes out. And he's like, like you said, oh, they get those ideas. But she'll figure out where she belongs and how she's supposed to act. And it's like, Wow. Yeah. Because even earlier, I believe it was earlier in the episode, you know, he comes home because they're going to have sex because apparently they're trying to have the baby. And, you know, Mm -hmm. she's like, I have a conference call. And he's like, "Okay, I have meetings. So, yeah, it's one of those nooners. Right. (laughs) You know, and you can see that she was like a powerful woman. That she was very much in charge of whatever it was, because we don't know what she did at this point. In the book, she was a gospel singer. I don't think in the series she is, and all that we know she did in the series was she wrote this book. I would think not a singer based on what we've seen in this episode. Yeah, I think she was some kind of, like, professional career type woman in the series, yeah. And, you know, they they have sex, and they're, they're kind of back and forth, and at one point he comes home and he's all flustered, and this, of course, is in the past before Gilead, and he's like, you know, people were being followed. We have to be careful. And she's like, listen, we're going to a movie. We're just going to go. Don't think about we're it. Go. And he's like, no, oh, I'm tired. She's like, no, we're going. It wasn't yeah, a question. We're going. We're going. We're not. Yeah. Okay. Don't skip over the fact that when they're about to have sex in the middle of that hot steaminess that we're like, oh, finally, real intimacy, they pray over the belly. Yeah, that, just, that was kind that was of cool. uh, awkward because that's, he stopped That's a lady killer right there. <laughs> it wasn't her. Like, like she's ready to go. And he's like, hold on, hold on. Let's pray for a second. She's like, okay. Yep. And it just okay. seems, <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. seemed weird. But right. then they're at the movies and he gets a text right before the movie starts. And because beforehand they're talking and she's like, maybe I should write another book. And I really wish I wrote this down. I want to say she was saying fertility as commerce. A commodity. A commodity. Yes. Now, had that gone a different way, and it, it mm-hmm. didn't turn out the way Gilead is, where these women are basically forced into it, but you have these women instead, where they were kind of on a pedestal, it's like, you're the only ones who are able to bear children. Yes. We want to make sure, basically, treat them like a goddess. <laughs> and I know that sounds bad, but you by know what I mean. Own, by their own will, being surrogates. Right. You know, implanting, and of course... In vitro and everything, they, the sons of Jacob think that that's part of the fertility problem because they were playing God. So because of the heavy religiousness of the takeover of the government, um, I think that it had to go this way. And they're even talking, well, do you think the wives will, will go for it? Well, if you include them in the ceremony, right. we'll say ceremony because, you know. It sounds better. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they, I mean, they, they had a chance to give women a choice. They could be paid very well to do this. 
even if it wasn't through in vitro. I mean, it's a choice right. still. But give people a choice. But I think they felt that there were so few fertile women that a lot of them would not take that choice. And they didn't want to take that risk. I, I don't know. No, no, no. I, I totally see your point. I'm just like, when she said that, I'm like, that could have went two very different ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it could have it could have worked out right. a lot better. But now we have Gilead and a war and, yeah. And a whole lot of not good <laughs> stuff, yes. But going back, because I'm jumping like crazy, Waterford <laughs> gets a text and he's like, it's on. It's happening. We're going to hit all of them. And they had a three-week timeline that they're going to hit Congress the White House and the Supreme Court. Yep. So they they're wiping out basically the three branches of terror, all three branches of government. And this was something that she helped plan because I want to say in that moment uh-huh. he says your plan is going into effect. Yep, I do believe it was her plan and I do remember them say, "Well, it's got to be quick." And we got to start rounding up these women quick, and it's got to happen fast before people figure out what's going on, which is why one day women are working, and the next day the boss comes in, tells all the women they're being, you know, let go, and then the day after that their credit cards no longer work, and you have, you know, your either your husband or your closest living male relative now controls all of your money and you're their property, and they suspended the Constitution because of the terror acts, and nobody blinked an eye over that. And it seems like this happened very quickly. Yes. And it's so crazy crazy. when you're you're watching this and you realize that Serena Joy, that's why for that moment, like one fleeting moment, like during the ceremony, when you see that her eyes are kind of filling with tears because she can't have a child. But going back to episode four with the doctor, is it actually her that can't have the child? And in the book, it says that the men of power were poisoned by Russia through expensive caviar to make them sterile. Which is just, I, I can't stand that anyway. I've tried caviar. It's kind of gross, but it's so yeah, weird. I, that sounds like something that would happen, like, way back in, like, the time of the czars. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But apparently, most of the men are sterile. So these women who are seen as... And fertile, I mean, maybe Serena Joy can actually have children. She's just never strayed from her husband. Right. So. (laughs) Which is kind of weird because last episode she chose to actually say that. Yep. Which is kind of surprising. When you see how she was. have a baby anyway. Yeah. When you see how she's in this episode and so devoted and so much wanting this to come, come to fruition. And it just seemed like, okay, is this. 100% what she wanted, or is this what she wanted and thinks this is what would make everything work right and bring the world back to where it should be, but thinking that the women were going to be on equal footing minus the fertile women, if that makes sense. I thought that she thought that women would still have a say and they wouldn't get kind of completely cut out. And then, especially her right, having the say, right, with her being, you know, one of the ringleaders, and that's why, after you said that, and I watched this, I'm like, I don't feel sorry for her anymore. I, I did for like two seconds. There might be moments, like fleeting moments, where you're like, oh, that totally sucks, and you're like, nope, she did this, so not sorry. Mm-hmm. But we have the Mexican ambassador come. And what was it, last episode, I believe, we hear that Waterford was down there 
in Mexico trying to figure out a trade deal. Yep. And so when the Mexican ambassador comes and Serena's like, calls Offred and you need to be on your game, you need to be respectful, you need to remember what you're going to say. Yeah, you, you need to remember your place. Yes, yeah, so, I think. Real subtle threat there. And before she goes in, she and Nick are standing outside the room, and I just love that little moment that they have where he tells her she looks pretty, and it's what she always wears. She's like, I wore it just for you, and their hands kind of touch a little bit. I loved that moment, and I also love the moment when Alfred is talking to Serena before the meeting with the ambassador, and um, she's talking about, you know, here's your dress or whatever. I guess she had like a, you know, it was specially pressed or something. It's very similar to what they regularly wear anyway. And she says, uh, Alfred says something, well, red has always been my color. And Serena's like, oh, how lucky for you. And I just love those little things in the show. It's like the only way Alfred has to kind of hold on to herself is those little tiny, like, I'm going to be snippy or I'm going to try to be funny. Kind of like yeah, going back when, you know, she tells Waterford, oh, I'll check my schedule. You know, just something to hold on to herself. Yeah, just anything, anything. And I saw in this episode, she's she's gaining that sense of who she used to be before this all happened. She's getting a little more brave, a little more bold. And at this point, I think she and Nick are kind of a regular thing, right? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. And they're doing it, they're doing it behind Serena's back. One time was the official time where Serena was still in the room, super creepy. But I think they <laughs> continued to, uh, see each other just by the way they kind of act. Yes. I, so. I do like that she is trying to cultivate some kind of relationship just so she can hang on to her sanity too, because I can see yeah. you losing every bit of yourself in this kind of world. Well, think about Nick too. They're both kind of like, Sur- survivors of, of something horrible that has happened. And basically, neither one of them knew the world was going to go in this direction until it was too late. And they're kind of huddled together for support of one another, you know, and that bonds you. I mean, that makes, and plus you're in a, a very sterile world where not only the men are sterile, but everything's just kind of clinical and there is no intimacy. There is no touching, you know, those little fingertip touches that, that they did before she goes into the meeting. That's forbidden. Right. Wives and husbands don't even do that, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I think they need each other and I've seen a lot of criticism with how could she continue to sleep with Nick after she finds out that Luke is still alive, which we do find out in this episode, and we can talk about it later. Yeah, that was very angry that Jennifer did not let that one slip at all, even off no, air. I was, I was like, mm, mm, no, I, I want to say, no, I can't. No, I, I Yeah, I was pretty much blowing up her phone. So, yeah, that was a big, you know, bomb thrown up at the very end. It's like, like my face just fell. I was like, what? So, yeah, poor Jennifer and her phone. Heard nothing but yeah. me like half sentences. Like, <laughs> you watched you watched uh, episode six. Huh? <laughs> so let's go back to the Mexican ambassador though, because the Mexican ambassador comes in and Offred goes in to the office, which has all the commanders, because that's not intimidating. And of course, men with guns again, not intimidating at all. 
No, not at all. And you you could cut the tension with a knife in this room. It's very awkward when they're asking her questions. And the Mexican ambassador is a woman. A woman. And she, when she's introduced, she goes towards the man. Oh no, that's actually um, the Mexican ambassador's um, her assistant. Yes. This is the Mexican ambassador, and I'm like, oh, I see. And you're not you're not gonna lock her up, right? <laughs> I think she was super surprised too, because it's like, how do you control your face when women in your your country basically have mm-hmm. been put into a place where they are never going to be at that level? Nope. And it's nope. like, oh, oh, okay. It was just a real surprise. I mean, she talked, and the, the ambassador asks her questions, and Alfred. I was not sure. And you, you can see, and I love how they played out that moment oh, where it so almost awkward. stretched. It felt like it stretched for an eternity because they show like, her face. What's she going to say? Right. What is she going to say? And you just see, like, all the emotions play across her face because. Elizabeth Moss needs to win all of the awards. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She made me feel all the feels in that awkward Silence, where she's trying to decide how to answer these questions. Because she knows if she says something wrong, she's going to be on the wall the second that ambassador is gone. Or shipped off to the colonies. Yeah. Or whatever that is. Yeah, because we honestly, we don't know everything with the colonies. And it's almost like it's the boogeyman at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever happens, you can get shipped to the colonies. We don't even know what the hell the colonies are. Yeah. Or they can take one of her eyes or take one of her hands or, you know... Actually, with this, because this is, of course, what I'm thinking, because she said something possibly that they didn't like, they would take her tongue. Ooh, yeah, I was thinking they might cut her tongue out, because you don't need your tongue to get pregnant. Nope. So, that's just my thought, of course. But she ends up saying, because the ambassador asks her, you know, why did did you you choose this? Yeah. She could have said a million things. Oh, yeah. And then the fact that she's just like, uh, I chose this to help my country kind of line. And I'm just like, is anyone believing this? Right. It's like God in country. Yes. And it's like, wow. And and you can see the look of relief on Serena and the commander's face. Like, whew. And then when they ask if she's happy, I was like, because uh, she kind of had her mouth hanging open, not like, very largely hanging open, but yeah, and she answers it very smartly. I think. yes, like this is a w- awesome go around. The fact that she says, "I have been able to find happiness," yes. not saying that she's happy there or in her situation. I'm assuming it's the moments that she's able to steal with Nick. Yep, and the memories she still has of her daughter and Luke, and it's like. I think I was crying at this point, seriously, because I'm like, oh, my God. First of all, it was such a dangerous situation, even though it didn't seem like it from an outsider. Mm-hmm. It was totally, like, probably the most dangerous situation she's been put in thus far. Right. Oh, and then after, and the ambassador and the commanders go and sit in the other room to talk about, you know, production and growth yeah, and, and all this. The wives are there too, right? Yes, the wives are in the room. But what I thought was interesting, you know, they're like, oh, yes, you know, our crops are coming up great. And the ambassador's like, well, it's been difficult growing crops and getting acclimated to the new climate with all of the changes. So they are yeah. addressing global warming and climate change. 
and they and they talk a little bit about it in the book as well. So this is like this book was written 30 years ago. So climate change is not new. Right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna state that it's been something we've known about for a while. It's still very much in the forefront. And I'm sorry if you're a climate denier or if you think the Earth is flat or anything else. I'm just I'm very sorry for you. <laughs> but. Uh, just the fact that they just mentioned it, and it's kind of in passing, but then they keep going, because Waterford's like, oh, well, you know, Florida's doing really good with oranges, and he brings oranges out. Mm-hmm. And then the ambassador is like, oh, I wonder what's going on with the quiet half of the room, because the wives are sitting there. Yeah, and they're just, just kind of, you know, in their place, not saying anything, observing. They sit still, look pretty. Right. And she decides to address Serena Joy specifically about her book that she wrote because she was able to read it. And I kind of felt yes. like there was a little bit of a dig. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, I was able to read that on the the plane over here. And I'm like, all right, so was it a dig that... And she says, too bad you can't even read it or any other women in your country. Okay. And that was a total dig. Yes. See, I wasn't 100% sure if I was projecting that she said that or if she actually said that. So when she said that, I'm like, okay, well, maybe she's on women's sides and maybe she'll see what's really going on. And this is, this will be a way where Offred can potentially get help. That's, that's what I was thinking when she did that little dig. But then we see the big event that they're, they're going to, they're hosting for Mexico. Oh yes. This giant dinner. Yes, and Serena has all of uh, the the handmaids lined up. It's Aunt Lydia has them, I think. Yeah, well, she's kind of there all the time with any of the girls. Yeah, so she says, pull out the damaged ones, and Aunt Lydia kind of pushes back and said, well, you know, they deserve a place of honor, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and she's like, well, we don't put the bruised apples at the top of the barrel. And then Aunt Lydia says, well, okay, you uh, you guys, we'll, we'll make sure that we'll bring desserts back. You can have as many desserts as you like. And you got Crazy Janine saying, but I want to go to the party. I love Crazy Janine has just, it's so funny that we've just named her Crazy Janine because every time we see her, <laughs> she gets a little bit more to the edge of sanity. Yeah, she's she's going insane, if not already there. She's, she's driving that train to crazy town. <laughs> I love her, though. <laughs> But, I mean, they broke her from the go when we seen her. Oh. So I, I can see her just completely losing everything at this point. And, yes, just like, I can have a whole tray of dessert. All right, do you promise? It's like, okay. It's like bribing children with ice cream. Right. If you shut the hell up and just let me drive <laughs> to the world, I promise as soon as we get there, you can have five big <laughs> meals of ice cream. I swear, shut up. Oh, my God. See, again, I don't have kids, but I can see that happening. <laughs> and then and then you hear, she's touching me. Mom, mom, she just touched me. Well, he touched me first. I'm like, no ice creams for anyone. And that could be actually everything going on in Janine's head because she seems a little like, woo-hoo. But, yeah. But, yeah. okay, so the, the non-damaged girls go in and they have a place of honor in the front and they sit and, and it's like, okay, they're going to have dinner. But then they yeah, have the girls rise. Yes, and it's really, it's this fancy, you know, banquet hall, and some of them are looking around, and some of them are, like, impressed and marveling, and then you get the one chick is like, I think I went to a bar mitzvah here once. Right. 
And something that was really strange, and I think this only happened because of what the Mexican ambassador had said, Serena Joy decides to address the crowd. Yeah, and she doesn't ask for permission. She just kind of stands up and does it. And all the men are looking like, oh, well, I guess she's going to speak. Yeah, like, who does she think she is? Because you've seen that look of disgust cross some of their faces. Uh Oh, yeah. And surprise from some of the wives. Mm Mm-hmm. But she decides to introduce the handmaids. And then on top of that, they introduce their most precious commodity, the children of Gilead. Oh, this was heartbreaking. And this is why I've been saying Gilead wrong the entire time. I've been saying Gilead because this is the first time that she says Gilead. Yes. So I've just been, you know, kind of like if you only read something, you don't know how it's supposed to be said. But I think it could be either way, Gilead, Gilead. I just I, I listened to the audio book and they called it Gilead. That's why I've been calling it Gilead. <laughs> so I didn't know. I think- Either way. But the children, oh, my gosh. And you see the handmaids who are trying their best to keep their composure. And but they're, they're looking they're for looking, the kids. I was looking. in tears, just like. Which, like, torn. which one's mine? Where? Where's my baby? Just, just tears. I was like those big, fat anime tears rolling down my face. Oh, yes. Because I just could feel the heartbreak. And then this is when Offred, it's believe it was in this moment when Offred finds out that the trade mm-hmm. that they're talking about isn't, you know, oranges because she tells the girl next door, you know, who cares what Waterford's going to trade oranges for? You know, who cares? They're like, no idiot. They're trading for us. Yeah. We're getting sent to Mexico. Yeah. And then they and, have that realization. And again, everything across her face, like, Oh shit, what did I do? Yeah, and then she kind of has that freak-out moment with Nick where she's like, I told him I was happy. I'm such an idiot. I, You know, why didn't I say something? Oh, my God. And she, she's blaming herself, and Nick's like, what could you have done? It was, like, if you had said that, we'd, you'd be dead. I'd probably be dead. You know, he's trying to, like, talk her down, but then she has that moment where after she's home and she's walk, going for a walk, I think, and the Mexican ambassador and her assistant are there, and she's like, oh, Alfred, thank you for your candor, and here's some Mexican chocolates from my my hometown. And so that's when Alfred kind of breaks and is like, tells her they, they're raping us. I did not choose this. I'm a slave. You've got to help me. You have to do something. And the Mexican ambassador says, I really wish I could, but I can't. Uh, and where I come from, there hasn't been a single child born in six years. And see, and then just, again, why aren't you testing all the men? Exactly. And then you just kind of see Offered breaking. And then Waterford comes in, gathers the Mexican ambassador. They go on their way. The assistant lingers behind and said, are you June Osborne? Do you know Luke Osborne? And she's like, what? And he's like, quick, write a note. And, you know, she writes, you know, a note that we presume that is going to Luke somehow. And Luke is alive. Yes, because he's like, he's alive. Because she's like, yes, that was my husband. He's dead. And he's like, no, Luke's alive. And I'm like, what? I don't know how you did not hear me actually down in Atlanta. <laughs> because that's, again, when I start blowing up poor Jennifer's phone. But I was like, I could not believe that that had happened. Because yeah. everybody, we were all on the same page up until, what, the last four minutes uh-huh. of this episode? Uh-huh. So for 
almost six full episodes. We heard the gunshots. We've seen what happened. We've seen him laying there. Yep. Luke was dead. What do you mean he's, he's dead. not dead? What do you mean he's not dead? Okay, so in the book, we don't know if he's dead or alive. So the fact that they've chosen in the series to make him alive, I think is pretty cool. Well, they're working with Margaret Atwood. So I'm assuming she probably said, yeah, you know, if I had written more, I would have written this in. Even if he had gotten shot, he probably could have survived somehow. You know, not every gunshot is fatal. But, I mean, I think she just assumed because she heard the shot, that was it. When she sees him, like, slumped against the car, when when she does kind of come to after being hit in the head, which they are really just hitting these women a lot when they were trying to capture them. Yeah, I guess you don't have to be, you know, very... I guess it's better if you're crazy like Janine and foggy-headed and not thinking. Maybe, kinda, like, you know. tranquilizer darts or something would have been a better bet than... I feel like the next step in making them more complacent is that they're going to ramp up and give them all lobotomies like they used to do. Oh, like my God. So that they're just complacent. And they're just basically, you know... That would be creepy. Live human incubate incubators for, I mean, yeah, I could see that happening, you know, for those who don't assimilate or they couldn't control, but I guess we'll see if that ever happens in season two. Oh, God, I hope not. That would be horrifying. They used to do that to people all the time, so. But this was just such a roller coaster. Like, finding out about Serena having such a heavy hand in this whole thing, I was pissed, and I like you deserve to be beaten. You should have some of that crap happen to you. And then yeah, and, the complacency. And, none of this, and pretty much none of this episode is in the book per se. Okay. So this is totally new content and it's one of my favorite episodes because it is totally new content and it's adding to the story in a good way. It's not, you know, going off the tracks and jumping the shark here. Um, the other thing I notice is after the big event, Serena can't go to sleep. She's kind of pacing around. The commander comes in. He's like, oh, you're still up. She's like, oh, I can't sleep. I'm, you know, I'm just so excited still. And he's he tells her, I forgot what an amazing woman you are. And they actually have sex. Because they're not supposed to anymore. They're not, they're not supposed to. But they break and they do it anyway. And with that moment, I was thinking it was a flashback and you had a to re-explain that, no, that was in the now. Yep, because she's in that green dress when he comes in. Yeah, and it didn't even click. I was just like, oh, my God. They are not even supposed to touch each other. Yep. And I know we discussed the bed, and it's like, is that actually their quote-unquote marriage bed where they both (laughs) sleep together, where I don't think they do because I want to say later, he goes to a whole different room. Yeah, I want to say... Now looking at it, I think that's her room, and he sleeps somewhere else, like maybe where his library is, and because she's she's not really allowed to go in there. No one is; it's just him. I don't um, know. It's so yeah, so I'm thinking they do not get to sleep next to each other, which seems strange because isn't that the whole point with you know, like being married and. You're not supposed to have sex unless you're procreating in certain, you know. I mean, I guess if you're an Akana wife who is still fertile, I, I guess it's allowed or permitted. 
but only for the purposes of procreation. Like, you know, you, you can't do it when you don't think you're ovulating or something. I don't, I don't know what the rules would mm-hmm. be, but, um, um, basically it's turned marriage into a partnership for raising children and that's in it. which that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> that just seems crazy too. It's like, Oh yeah, you're married, but uh, you don't touch each other. So I, I want to tell, uh, touch on something that the book touches on, and it's not going to spoil anything for anyone because it is not covered in this season. Um, we want to know what happens to those girls who are born within this society. Mm-hmm. And when they're about 13, 14 years old, as soon as they pretty much begin to have um, their period, they start men- menstruating. They get married off to, uh, and I'm doing air quotes, the angels, which I think they call them the guardians in the series. So special troops or military guys who are usually much older, who have served their country well in the war with whoever they're at war with, <laughs> the rest of the United States that didn't, you know, become Gilead, where they get married off to these these war heroes as early as 13, 14 years old. So on top of all this, we now have child marriage in the mix. And I want to say that if you're able to have children on your own through that union, because they, they want to start as early as possible to, you know, have as many healthy children, you know, as they can. And they're assuming that these, these child brides would be able to, because they were born of handmaids who are fertile. So I don't know if, Something happens, say you can't have kids and then you get assigned a handmaiden down the road or or what have you. I'm not sure how any of that works. I definitely want to know more about it. So um, Mara Atwood and all the showrunners at Handmaid's Tale for season two, I'd like to know what (laughs) happens. I'd like to know about the colonies, too. Um, But that was really a disturbing factor for me that... All those little children we saw running around at the event, I mean, some of them were only a few years away from getting married off to someone much older than them. And It's frightening. Mm. Yeah, very scary stuff. But excellent episode. I think it's uh, one of those episodes where it's that pivotal moment where things turn. And you see just how wrong it's gone and why. And I like that they did this episode and that they, they they went off script from the book a little bit in order to do it. I liked it a lot. I did like it. And it's, like, so exciting to see what's coming. And so I hope you guys bear with us for the last four episodes after this. Because it's, like, unreal. And it's so funny, like I said talking with my husband and he he were watching something random on tv and all of a sudden he's like this is like those people in that show and they they want this kind of world i'm like yes and this is why i wanted him to watch it so he can i mean obviously you know if you're a woman you have one kind of point of view because it's like oh my god they're forcing these women Uh into it and it's like all right but what does he think of it and, like, I joke around. I'm like, see, I wouldn't be able to make it, honey, because I'd be out there with, with the rifle taking them all out as many as I could because they're coming for my books. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, my husband has said, yeah, you'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's only watched a couple of episodes. He's like, yeah, you would never make it. You'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, that's why Jason's like, I don't think so. I, I think, uh, well, he goes, you wouldn't go with them. I know that. You, you'd you be putting up a fight. Mm-mm-mm. And he's like, but, like, like, we're talking about it, you know, how far can you fight before what they're doing is just complete terror in your eyes? Yeah, before you're like, okay, we've gone too far and we can't back the train up. Okay, so in the Constitution, there's something very, very important in the Constitution, and it's called the separation of church and state. And I am not against anyone practicing whatever religion it is they choose, but our country was founded on freedom of and freedom from religion. Because if you remember... Back in the day, before the colonists came here, they were subjects of the royal crown of England. And it's the Church of England. And the monarch is the head of the church, thanks to Henry VIII, when he decided to make the Church of England. And throughout history, if you were a Catholic, you got slaughtered. Or when Bloody Mary was um, in... Uh, power. It was all the Protestants, and then Queen Elizabeth came back in, and it was um, pro- uh, Protestant again. And I mean, the the people who thought differently and who did not want to be burned as heretics were the first pilgrims who came over to the New World for freedom of religion and freedom from religion. And when you see things happening today in our government that is merging church and state a little bit with each little step they take, it gets to be a little scary to me because that is one of the foundations of our freedoms when it comes to the United States and why this country was formed and why we fought for our independence. And it was just the 4th of July the other day. So yeah, (laughs) Uh, because this is totally a theocracy where church and state state have become one. It's kind of like in some of the Islamic countries where they have Sharia law. And this is a form of Sharia law where they're oppressing women. It's like a Christian Sharia kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And I just want to point that out um, because there there have been some things in the headlines and things that have happened that bring us very dangerously close to blurring that line between church and state. And it's scary as hell. Right. And this is another thing, like watching these kind of dystopian shows where you see, you know, if you take a left turn at Albuquerque, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And I just like that this is something to kind of get a dialogue out there. I mean, granted, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, this could be anything. Yes, it could. But there's always that what if hanging over your head. Oh, it would never happen here. Well, even in the book, they say, oh, we thought, oh, it could never happen here. Not something like this. And I'm sure that in Syria, (laughs) before the war started over there, they thought, oh, something like that could never happen here. And then six, seven years later, most of the country's blown up. So. If you don't think it could happen here, check history. There's always a precedence for when people didn't think it could happen there, it happened. It's crazy, too, that it has happened. So we want to know what everybody else thinks, of course, because obviously if you're listening to this, you, you have an idea in your own head how everything 
is And you're down. still allowed to rate, too. <laughs> so we want to know. We want to hear from you. Podcast at gmail.com. If you're tweeting this, make sure you're using the hashtag M-A-I-D-E-Z. That is the official Hulu um, Handmaid's Tale Twitter. That's not ours. Obviously, we are FGZ Podcast. But they have some awesome things happening when you just read through their Twitter. And they always have contests, too, for shirts, which I wish I could get one. I want that hoodie. And they have awesome stuff. Oh, it's awesome. They have awesome stuff. So, do and you, articles and discussions going on over on their Facebook group uh, as oh, well. Oh, it's crazy how much is happening. So go on, because we are going to get a season two, and I'm super excited for that. And I'm still holding the book, and I'm like, it's like my precious. I'm like stroking it gently, going, I can't wait to read you. As soon as we're done with this season, I'm reading you. I don't want to mix anything up in my head, because I have a bad feeling that I, it might be one of those books that it's like I tune everything and everyone out and just keep reading until it's done, so... Mm-hmm. It, it is a very, very addictive book, and the ending blew me away, and I went on a rant. <laughs> but then I saw the ending of the series for season one, and I was like, okay, I'm calming down from my rant now. I'm calming down. Um, but it is a wonderful book, and I bet they can probably buy it by clicking a link on your website, correct? Yeah, if you go through the uh, Amazon link on the website on www.fangirlzone.com, the Amazon link, you can click it. If you have your Kindle, actually, if you're listening to this, Amazon days are coming up, so you can get a super awesome, like, unlimited Kindle bundle, which I'm trying to put that link up exactly for it. Um, It's, like, super cool stuff that they have going on with these Amazon days, so check that out. Awesome. And Jennifer is hard at work working on the website for Hollow Nine. So you're going to see a whole yes. new thing coming out with that very soon. Hollow9.com. And I am on Twitter as Jennifer Nine. And we spell nine a little bit different. We spell it the number nine, I N E. So that's Hollow Nine and Jennifer Nine. So Hollow9.com will take you over to our current automatic page. But a brand-new, shiny website with brand-new, shiny content is coming soon. All right. So, everybody, we do hope you're enjoying this. We hope you're enjoying the show because it's, like, blowing me away. I, I just can't. It's, like, it's probably one of the best shows on TV yes, right now. It's just like, oh, wow, I can't not talk about this and try to get people to watch this. So, we hope <laughs> you guys are having the same thing and getting more people on board to be, you know, maids basically then we're going to rise up yeah. all right so for this episode of fangirl zone i'm sean fangirl s and i'm jennifer and until next time <laughs>